0: Welcome to Israel from the inside, where we try to break out of the echo chamber surfacing the wide array of often conflicting viewpoints that make up the mosaic of Israeli life. I'm Daniel Gordas of Shalem College in Jerusalem. Go to DanielGordis.substack.com where you can subscribe to these podcasts and join our community of listeners and readers, access the archive of all these episodes and post comments, interacting with others who share your interest in Zionism, Israel, and the future of the Jewish state. I am sitting with uh, Susan Weiss, who, among many other accomplishments, is the author of a book that I had occasion to read a couple months ago called Marriage and Divorce in the Jewish State, Israel's Civil War, which is quite a title. We'll come back to that in a little bit, uh, which she co-authored with Nettie Gross. And we're here to talk with Susan about her work on behalf of uh, women's rights in Israel, specifically in the religious domain. We'll talk about that in a second. But first of all, thank you very much for taking the time to be here.
1: My pleasure
0: and uh before we dive in tell us a little bit about your background
1: okay um i uh, came from the united states in 1980 i came uh, with two children i now have five three children here in israel and i also so i'm an attorney i came as an attorney and i uh while in Israel, I also got a Ph.D. in sociology and anthropology, which was as a result of the work that I do, actually.
0: And you founded an organization?
1: And I founded, I founded two organizations, Okay, what actually. are they? I founded uh, a project called Yad Lisha, which is legal aid for women in the rabbinic courts. And I did that for seven years, and then from 1997 to 2004. And in 2004, I started the Center for Women's Justice, When I decided that it wasn't good enough just to give legal aid to women in the courts, what I wanted to do was to try and find a systemic systemic change. I wanted to find a systemic solution for the problem of Jewish women in divorce. Okay,
0: so we're going to talk about the problem of Jewish women in divorce as one of a number of issues that you're involved with. But I want to just sort of pick up on one line that kind of jumps out at the reader from your book. Yes. And uh, you say basically Israel's not really a democracy. It's a partial theocracy. Correct. Now that's kind of a showstopper. (laughs) So start out by telling us, I mean, really, we're all used to hearing that Israel's Uh the only democracy in the Middle East and it's, you know, places like Saudi Arabia that are theocracies. So how is this country a theocracy?
1: Uh, Okay. I have have actually a, a cute way of explaining it. In Israel, and I, and I have to give credit to Net, uh, to, uh, to an attorney, um, Neta Ziv from Tel Aviv University, who once said this to me when I called her up with this case that I had. I said, Neta, what am I going to do with this case? And she said, Susan, in Israel, a woman can be a fighter pilot, but she can't get divorced. Um, Israel is a partial theocracy because it has carved out a place uh, for religion in the state in which the state can uh, impose religious uh, rules and religious uh, acts on its citizens. And uh, it has expression in very it takes expression in various different ways. Israel adopted the millet system. The millet system is- uh, Which millet, is Turkish. Millet come, came from the Turks. Millet means religious community. That means anyone in Israel can, can get married and divorced only within the rules of their millets. And the rules of the millets can change. So Christians
0: with Christians, Muslims with Muslims, and Jews with With Jews.
1: Jews with Jews. So uh, Jews can only get married in Orthodox ceremonies. You cannot get married in a civil ceremony in this country. You can only marry another Jew in this country. You cannot marry someone who is not of the Jewish faith, if you are of a Jewish faith. There's no intermarriage. And when you get divorced, you can only get divorced in accordance with Jewish rules and the state imposes a religious act on you, which is the get. In other words, before it will give you a a civil divorce, you have to go through the religious act of the husband delivering a writ of manumission to his wife. And uh, the writ of manumission is the get and uh, the, according to jewish religious rules the man really holds the cards and if he doesn't want to write his writ of manumission then the woman is stuck in her marriage okay
0: so stuck in her marriage is the aguna situation Correct. ogen is the hebrew word for anchor so she's more or less anchored in place and she can't move on with her life because until she gets this get which only he can give and she cannot demand um she can't get married again Now, he can't theoretically either, but if he doesn't care and she does care because her childbearing years, for example, are ticking away, then he basically has all the cards. And as you describe in your book, the courts really side with the men. I mean, the the cases that you described were egregious. I mean, of men who were, in some cases, violent, didn't show up to court hearings, got lawyers who brought up the most ridiculous arguments, and then you would have one of the rabbis on the court siding with them and so on and so forth. Um, how long can this go on when a woman's in an aguna and the religious courts are dealing with her divorce?
1: Well, it actually can go on forever. One of the cases that um, I started when I was, I, 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 I didn't actually represent this woman, but one of the uh, women pleaders who was working for me represented her, is a woman named Tzviya Gorodetsky. And Tzviya Gorodetsky must have been somewhere in the year 2000 or so, uh, asked her husband for a divorce. And uh, we handled it beautifully in Yad Lisha. And uh, we managed to get him imprisoned. Okay, Because he, he wouldn't give the get. And, and, uh, but as you can see, even if the rabbinic courts does, every, does everything that it can under Halakha, which is to try and force the husband to say, I will give you a get, um, and put him in jail. Um, so they put him in jail relatively quickly in this particular case. But as of today she still does not have her get and actually in the center for so it's Winston, 21 years later it's 21 years later and and we actually at the Center for women's Justice asked to release him a few years ago and uh, that's a whole other story but he's he's now out he's now out of jail. He wasn't giving the get and, um, and and her life is...
0: Ruined in that part her of the world. Her life was of,
1: ruined. She went from 35 to 55, and right. she actually, right now, would like to remarry. I think she she has another relationship, and she's stuck. She can't get go forward. Although the Center for Women's Justice may have a solution for her too, because we set up a private rabbinic court, and which may issue her 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 get, her get yes. which so let's she declare might declare her accept. marriage is over. Which it's it's a progressive rabbinic court.
0: Right, progressive orthodox rabbinic court? It's
1: uh, under the auspices of Rabbi Sperber, so yes. Okay, so yes. definitely orthodox, yes. Yes. absolutely orthodox. But not under the auspices of the state, not under the auspices of the orthodox rabbinic I
0: know when we say, by the way, under the state and the orthodox, what you're really talking about is the Haredi community, right? I mean, most of these rabbis are pretty close to the Haredi world, if not in the Haredi world.
1: Well, this is what distinguishes the Center for Women's Justice and many other NGOs that are involved in the area of, of religion and state. We are not. We we really do not think that the state should adopt any type of religion. No, I understand It's not Orthodox, not Haredi. We're not looking for a, a nicer rabbinate. What we're looking for is privatization of the rabbinate. We we think everyone has the should have the right to decide what religious uh, expression, what Jewish religious expression. Is appropriate for themselves, and and what who what rabbi is the rabbi that they want to go to, and they have the right to choose that, and the well, state shouldn't be imposing these religious rules. That's the American systems.
0: model, more or less, and that's Correct. the model of the American Jewish community. So we'll come Correct. back to that in a second. So let's just so we know that there's an agunot situation. A woman wants that the marriage ends, whether it's his doing or her doing, for whatever reason. The marriage ends. Uh, only he can give the get, and in fact, as you pointed out a minute ago, even the Orthodox court. Can't in the end of the day force him to give the get. Right. He can he go to jail, to, and if right. he's willing to sit in jail for X number of years, he can right. sit in jail. Right. He'll get fed three times a day. Correct. And he'll have a minion probably, and everything is good. And her life just sort of the the sand clock of her life just drizzles right. away, and that's that. And there's how many cases of agunot, outstanding um, agunot in Israel? Do we think there are?
1: That is the million dollar question. Uh, the women's groups say there are thousands, and actually. The the uh, the very first article I ever wrote um, for uh, on this matter was for the Jerusalem Report, and I asked the question, how much is your womb worth? Okay, because every every woman who's going through a divorce in this country has to decide how much she wants to pay for her freedom and how much time she wants to waste on this, on this whole process. It's actually the easiest thing to get divorced in this country if there's an agreement. The parties just agree on their divorce. So there's... There's in that sense it's uh, no fault. Of divorce, no fault really. of course, right? But I I like to joke that no we have no fault in this country. No fault of the husband is a cause of action for divorce because if the couples don't agree. There's nothing. There's almost nothing a woman can prove in court. There's three. There's three uh, classic causes of action for divorce, which is abandonment, violence, and infidelity. Okay, those are the class three classic. Uh, trilogy of divorce and and uh, before they even came to uh, no fault divorce before even that became the norm um, and even if you prove those three things you, you can't you won't necessarily get divorced in this right country. there's examples of that in your book Correct. women who Correct. did prove infidelity Correct. and the court didn't right. really
0: care right. it wasn't really proof
1: etc right.
0: etc cetera, et cetera. Right. okay so so is one of the issues now um, since you talked about privatizing the rabbinate, Let's talk about it before we get to that, which is a really interesting, radical change for Israel. I mean, it would make this country entirely different. Correct. Um, and it would basically make it a democracy, not the part of it that's right. a theocracy in your mind. We'll come back to that. Um, so we talked a little bit about Mamzerim before. So right. let's just bring that up again. Now, so a Mamzer, just for people that are not aware of this from a Jewish legal standpoint, a mamzer is a child who was born not out of wedlock, which is what everybody thinks it is, but it's not. Right child born out of an adulterous relationship so if a woman is married and then she can't get a get or whatever if she were to be with another man have a relationship with another man and get pregnant and have a baby with him that child is considered a mamzer, right. and that child can't marry
1: anybody else it's actually even yes that's true and that's where uh, the central woman's justice thinks that if we solved the issue of Mamzer, we'd actually solve the issue of the aguna. And one of the things that we're doing right now is we have a forum of thinkers um, to try and figure out how we're going to overcome this problem of Mamzer, which the state has adopted. But I'm just going to tell you one more thing, that actually Mamzer is even broader than the wo- the woman who, um, who has... Uh, relationship with a man who's not her husband and has a child as a result of that relationship it's any violation of the of the kinship laws in leviticus in other words uh and and that's and the reason i'm mentioning that even though it's not connected necessarily with the agunat problem is because the state also imposes those rules in other words if you happen if you happen to get divorced from your wife and you marry your wife's sister and you don't realize that uh, under the Leviticus rules um, you can only marry your wife's sister if your wife dies but if your wife is still alive because you divorced her and you wanted to marry her sister and you didn't know that that was the rule and somehow you managed to marry her or have children you didn't even marry her, you had children with her, the children would also be mamasarem and the state imposes those rules there's many very odd rules that the state's imposing, for example If you're a nursing mother and you have a child, you know you have a child who's under the age of two, and you want to get married. You were divorced, and you want to get married, and you have a child who's under the age of two. You have to get special permission from the state to get married. Why? Because there's a rule in in the Shulchan Aruch that if you're nursing, if you're nursing a child, um, theoretically you owe the milk that. From the, your milk to your ex-husband and his child, and you can't just transfer that. Okay, on. so there's that this, gets hairy. I so know it a gets 27, very hairy. 27, 30
0: twenty-seven, thirty-year-old woman. She and her husband get a divorce, right? But she has a kid. She's nursing. She meets a guy. They want to get married, yes. but because she's nursing, she has to get permission from the state, correct? From the rabbinate, actually right. to marry right. this guy.
1: And one of our clients, one of our clients had that situation and then they started asking who's the father of this child and they started questioning whether the child was actually the father of the ex-husband or not.
0: The child of the ex-husband or not?
1: The child of the ex-husband or not, yes, sorry. And I'll give you another, I'll give you another theocratic imposition. Um, If you have a child born 10 months, 10 months from a divorce, the child must be registered on the name of the ex-husband he can't be registered the child cannot be registered on the name of anybody else and Without genetic testing order, wouldn't you're not allowed to do genetic testing it's automatically imputed to the father it's the ex-husband okay and we have actually two cases right now where children were born eight months after the divorce and the mother's refuse to register the children on the name of their ex-husband, and they're fighting the state to allow them to register the kids on the name of their new partner.
0: Okay, but I just want to make it clear. We're living in the 21st century. This is true. There's a very simple test that would determine with absolute certainty whether or not that ex-husband is the father of the child, but the rabbinate could not be less interested in that. No,
1: and the state of Israel passed a law that you cannot, you cannot do genetic testing without a court or a rabbinic court order to... to in other words,
0: out. a couple can't just decide to go ahead and do genetic testing?
1: No, no, they cannot do that. Because they're worried that they're going to be finding moms there, and so they're, they think that they are protecting children from the moms or taboo.
0: Uh-huh. And if a couple went out, they went to Cyprus, they went to a clinic in yeah. Cyprus and they got genetic testing, and the genetic testing proved without a doubt that this new child is not the child of the ex-husband,
1: Right. The court would or would not accept that, oh, that's, that. Right now we're dealing with what exactly the court will accept as admissible. And we're trying to make all sorts of arguments about the split status of a child. And a child, just the same way a, ch- a person can be Jewish for purposes of coming on Aliyah and not Jewish enough to get married, the person can be the child of somebody under civil laws and not necessarily child of somebody under halachic law so that's one of the arguments that so they would have different now. fathers right no they, right Well, different they would fathers. be the father of
0: one Correct. man under civil law and under the rabbi would consider a different man the person's Correct. father so
1: that's like some of the cases that we're dealing with now we're dealing with all sorts of cases in other words when i started all this work when i began all this work i really thought the problem was bad husbands and then maybe bad rabbis that weren't interpreting the halacha well and then i began to understand that the problem really is the theocracy the problem is that the state is imposing all of this on everybody. I mean, if you choose from your own free will to, to live your life in accordance with these laws, that's one thing. But a state, a democratic state, cannot impose these rules, these patriarchal, um, to some extent misogynist <laughs> rules, on its citizens. We really believe that there has to be freedom and liberty and liberty and freedom of religion and, and, and ability to conduct your lives without worrying about your children being stigmatized.
0: So let's just make this even broader just to, to make it clear how wide the net is. Let's say we're a young couple, you know, some man and woman are a young couple and they don't wanna get married by the rabbinate and they don't even wanna have any kind of religious ceremony. It's just not their thing. They're both Jewish, they're both Israeli. They care even about being Jewish. They care about being Israeli. They just have a very negative feeling about this whole religious thing. So they hop on a plane back in the pre-Corona days. They hop on a plane, they go to Cyprus.
1: Okay.
0: And they go to the or
1: Greece or Italy? Or wherever. US. You go to New York, <laughs> right. there's a lot of places
0: you can go, you go to a civil court, Correct. you get you get married. Israel's Ministry of the Interior recognizes Correct. that marriage. Now let's say 30 years go by. They've never been married by a rabbi. They've never been done anything religious in their lives. They were just married civilly in Cyprus. Now they want to get divorced. Can they get divorced without going through the rabbinate? No. They have to go into the orthodox rabbinate to undo a marriage that was a civil marriage in Cyprus.
1: And that's because the orthodox rabbinate has two hats. It has a civil hat and a religious hat. And... The state gave it a monopoly on the civil hat, okay, for, any, for all Jews. That's my last story in the book, okay? And that actually came to a head in 2004, okay, when um, uh, a, I, it wasn't my client, a woman wanted, uh, a husband wanted to get divorced from his wife, a man wanted to get divorced from his wife, and they had gone, they had done a reform ceremony, and they had gotten married in Cyprus. And they wanted a divorce, and she didn't want one. And uh, they went to the rabbinic courts, and the rabbinic courts said, "I don't know what your problem is. We don't recognize this marriage. You never got married halachically, so you're not married." And she said, "You can't just say I wasn't married. I got married in Cyprus. You, you, you know, you're a state. You have to recognize this. There's full recognition for acts of state." So she actually brought it to a bagatz, and at that point, which uh, is the supreme court, the supreme be. court, yes. And um, and Barak, who was sitting on the Supreme Court at that time, he could have at that moment said, he could have made a declaration that anyone who got married in a civil ceremony gets divorced in the civil courts. That could have been a declaration. But instead, he sent it back to the rabbinic courts. And... Rabbi Dachovsky, who was one of the rabbis on the court at the time, said, well, you know, we can actually declare the marriage over. There's something called oh. Nisuin B'nai Noach, Mar- Noahite marriages, and we can declare it over without a get. But in fact, they don't do things like that. In other words, we had a case, and that's the case that I write about and we wrote around in the last part of the book, which was a, we went to court with a client and we, who wanted a a divorce and it was more or less the same facts, and we said just declare the marriage over, because the husband wasn't agreeing to the get, and the rabbi said no 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 you must have a get and they actually put him in jail despite the fact that we said we didn't want him in jail, and we we just wanted to get and because it was only a civil marriage they were very quick to put him in jail because they really weren't worried that there was any halachic problem with it. There wasn't really a get or we'll forced divorce, which of course is a halachic determination.
0: Wow. Okay. So before we get to um, before we get to this question of how we're going to solve this, right? And the whole, what you talked about before, with the privatization of religion, which is your proposal, um, there are other ways in which this rears its head, having nothing to do with marriage right. or divorce or children. So one of them is Russians, right, who have to come to Israel. Well, and
1: actually, that's a little bit it has to do with marriage because the Russian right. olim...
0: They can be here as, much, as long as they want without the rabbinic court interfering until they want to get married.
1: Right. The minute they want to get married, then they will do an inquiry onto their Jewish status. Okay, and so right what's a Russian have... Jew
0: supposed to do? A Russian Jew, if you can come under the law of return as long as any one of your four grandparents was a Jew. That's the a very old amendment to the law of return, and it's based on, supposedly, the Nazi rules, which is if one of your grandparents was... Jewish, you were eligible to be killed. And so the Jewish state flipped it and said, if any one of your grandparents was Jewish, you're eligible to come here and make a home. But of course, in Jewish law, in halacha, you're Jewish if your mother was Jewish. And if your mother wasn't Jewish, you're not Jewish unless you converted. And as far as they're concerned, if you converted under orthodox as. Okay, now a, a Russian Jew... Comes. There were seventy years of the Soviet Union where people were not allowed to keep records. There were no there were no public Jewish weddings. I mean, Judaism was really pushed under the ground for several generations. Kids come here. Let's say um, let's say that they are really even halakhically Jewish. How are they supposed to exactly prove it?
1: Uh, I don't know, and in fact that <laughs> that's that's a big question. We brought a uh, a, a petition before the Supreme Court again a bagatz, on that very. I, notion, Because um, what what's happening now is that they passed regulations, which is secondary legislation. And this secondary legislation is very broad. And it says that whenever anyone... It, it used to be targeted specifically towards immigrants from the former Soviet Union, but there was a, an appeal to the Supreme Court on that. So now, if you don't have a parent who got married in this country, or um, if... Uh, you know, then, then you have a problem proving that you're Jewish, and they they make it very, very hard for immigrants from the former Soviet Union, and I don't think you and I could probably prove that we are Jewish because. They have to bring records of their great-grandmother on their maternal side. And How are you supposed to get that? I don't know. Do you know the, your great-grandmother's name, even? I
0: do know my great-grandmother's name, but right. I don't have any proof that she was Jewish. I have my right. grandmother's ketubah, but that's only accidental because right. I found it going through a box.
1: Okay. But, yeah, most people don't get yeah, that. Uh, yeah, yeah. So and you're going to, you, you may have to go to Ellis Island to prove what they wrote there, but why would what anyone wrote, any paquete, any clerk, you know, at Ellis Island you know, who wrote Jew on your, when, when your great-grandmother immigrated to America. I don't know why that would be proof of Jewishness. And right now, if there's any problem with the documents that the Russians bring, they they immediately say, oh, this is a forgery and proof that you're not Jewish. What's happening is that what's really motivating the rabbinic court, this is one of the reasons I went back to study sociology and anthropology, because I said to myself, what is happening here? You know, why I are they doing uh, this? Yeah, why are they doing this? Why, you know, are they really? Do they do they hate women? You know, are they doing this because they're just you
0: bad know, people? Bad
1: people. And I, I started just asking that question, which was a. big So why question. are they doing it? I think it's all about purity and danger. It's Mary Douglas. Right. It's all about. That's the
0: book she wrote about Leviticus.
1: Yes. Yes it's all about an internal morality which they have developed and with and it, it it also has to do with the religious sphere which is an exclusionary sphere as opposed to an inclus- inclusive sphere you know the de- democratic sphere is is broad and inclusive right. and, and it's about equality it's right. about equality it's about justice okay but if that's not what it's about. And we even have rabbis uh, when we ask them, because we also dealt with the repealed conversion cases. And the rabbi said, justice, we want to do justice. But really, before anything else, we want to make sure that the purity of the Jewish people, that is the Karim Yisrael, the vineyards of Israel, we must make sure that they are pure and holy and in accordance with our rules and that nobody foreign gets in. That's,
0: by the way, I mean, this is a whole other issue which we can't go into now, but there's this guy in Israel now who's trying to do this genetic testing to prove whether or not people are Jewish. that's
1: very problematic.
0: It's hugely problematic. Oh, hugely
1: problematic and a big mistake.
0: And it's, by the way, not what Judaism was. Judaism was never defined as a a genetic...
1: I have a friend, I have a friend who works for one of the organizations involved with that, and that same person, so she tells me, says that 30% of the Haredi community was tested would not pass the genetic it would not pass that right. test so the
0: whole idea that that that's a very very dangerous playing with fire thing which right. some people in Israel are taking very seriously but let's go in the opposite direction let's okay. go in the direction of trying to make things not worse <laughs> but better
1: okay
0: and you and your colleagues are advocating there's got to be a change here and you don't want a nicer gentler sweeter orthodox rabbinate because first right. of all it's not going to happen but second of all it's not the principle right Uh, You're saying this is a democracy, so people should be able to decide how they want to get married, who they want to marry, etc., to be a personal decision, so therefore you want to privatize the rabbinate. That's the phrase that you used before, which is more or less the American model, right? If I'm a Reformed Jew and I don't want to get a get, I don't get a get. Correct. And if I have a child who is halachically a mamzer, and that person wants to marry somebody in the Orthodox community, that's a personal decision between those two people.
1: Although you should know that Rabbi, Rav Moshe Feinstein found a solution for the Reformed Jews. You know, they, he doesn't he doesn't see their marriages as halachic marriages, so therefore there are no mamzerian in the Reform Right, by the way, he did that on purpose. Correct. I mean, he did it on purpose so to... They say, yes. Well, he
0: did it on purpose to be lenient, because right. it looked like a stringency. No, I'm being very strict, that's Correct. not a real marriage. But Correct. that stringency allows us for there not to be mamzerian. Correct. And so forth. Okay, but... All right, let's say you talk about privatization of marriage. the would...
1: doesn't go by Rev. Oh, I know. So let's <laughs> just
0: say for a second here that um, we wanted a privatized marriage. Who does that? Who makes that decision?
1: It would, probably, it would have to go through the Knesset. And um, there would be a lot of objection to it, obviously, because uh, there's a lot of jobs involved. And uh, the mantra that most people adopt when the issue is raised is, oh, well, no, 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 well, then we will divide the Jewish people and we won't be a Jewish state anymore. So there's a lot of objection to it. There'd be objection um,
0: probably outside the Haredi community also.
1: When, outside, in know, other words, I think that
0: people, a lot of people in the Mizrahi community yes. would instinctively not want the probably. gates opened to all of this. Probably, um,
1: but it's happening on the ground. That's what's so exciting. You know, I think that um how's it happening on the ground? Well, with all sorts of initiatives of people taking taking their lives into their own hands, like you described, you know, in your own family where they're they're getting married without the rabbinate. And there they're are
0: getting, Orthodox rabbis who are
1: who are, who are giving Russians,
0: giving Russians recognition as Jews, with a little yes. bit more understanding and flexibility and tolerance? Yes,
1: there's a lot of there's a lot of groundswell from the from people and from the NGOs. And, and we're talking in October
0: 2021. There's even a move right now to break up the monopoly over kosher food with the rabbinate. Right. So there, you're right. So there, it is cracking. It's cracking. Um, yeah. Now I don't know that we're going to see a kind of a privatization, a whole hog privatization of no. religion anywhere in the near Probably future. Probably the Israel.
1: best that we can get is an alternative stream. In other words, they, we might be able to pass it as, we'll keep the state rabbinate as it is, but ha, let's have another channel that people can choose. Like in the Kashrut words, system. Like the Kashrut system. Uh, except Kashrut isn't really imposed on people. No, no, but
0: I'm just saying there are other non orthodox There are but, other yes. non rabbinate systems that give a a give a seal of approval that say this food is kosher which is not the official israeli rabbit right. so that's why i mean it's a parallel stream in right. that regard Now let me ask you the following question a lot of our listeners are probably saying yeah okay um definitely sounds bad i don't like the idea of israel being a theocracy i don't like the idea of a woman being locked down and not being able to get remarried for 25 years while her childbearing years in the crime of her life disappear. And you
1: know, no woman can be on the rabbinic court.
0: And obviously no woman can be on a rabbinic I'm court. Making... Right, okay, that's definitely That's another So they say like in principle, so therefore, those of us who are Americans are listening to this and saying, okay, I get that. I mean, America kind of works. You know, people go to whichever rabbi they want, people do whichever religious ceremonies they want. But then somebody might say, you know what, it works except for in one way. I'm not, even if I'm not religious, even if I'm not an orthodox person or a conservative, whatever, I just don't think that this intermarriage thing in America is playing out very well. There's the sociologist in me, like the sociologist in you, right? the sociologist in me, they're saying in their armchair in you know wherever they're sitting, that hasn't worked out really well. And the idea that the Jewish state would actually allow intermarriage in the Jewish state, when we see what it's doing sociologically and demographically outside, that feels like a really bad idea. What would you say to them?
1: I would say that The state has no business in that in that decision, and I don't think the state is preventing it either. Because if today uh, one of our children falls in love with a non Jew, and even though they'll figure out how to marry that person if they want to marry that person, or they will live with that person, so the state has nothing. You know, the state can't coerce activities like that.
0: And you was an Israeli who made Aliyah from America. Do you ever worry about the Jewishness of the Jewish state staying intact?
1: No, not at all. I think we are a very Jewish state. We have a very Jewish history. (laughs) All of our holidays are Jewish. Our language is very Jewish. Uh, If you want to observe the Sabbath or observe Kashrut rules, it's very easy. So I am not in any way worried about the Jewishness of the state. In fact, um, there's a new program called the New Jew, right? There's various new constructions of Jewishness, both in America and here. And I think that proliferation is wonderful.
0: And what do you think is... Things this is going to happen, the privatization? I mean, do you imagine that, for example, when your grandchildren are adults? Obviously, nobody knows, but you have a hunch that when your grandchildren are adults, they're going to live in an Israel which has a privatized rabbinate?
1: Or, or a parallel system. Or a parallel system. I pray that that's the situation. I really do. Because we can't be a theocracy. We, there's there's no, there, there, there's no legitimation for Israel as a state if it's not a democracy. And I don't want to see them, I don't want to see us getting worse, you know, and and to some extent, in in some ways, there are manifestations of the theocracy that are very, very scary. For example, um, for example, what's happening on uh, separate classes in the universities, I find that to be very problematic. We were a, we filed an amicus brief on that matter even right, so Hebrew of University, separation? for example, is offering
0: some separate classes, right?
1: I don't know about Hebrew University that... I think they were building of...
0: separate campuses. I could be wrong.
1: Uh-huh. But
0: okay. some universities are actually yeah, building... Yes, some
1: universities, I think.
0: ...are building specific yeah, campuses. What would you say class. to the argument, okay, obviously, for somebody like you and somebody like me, the idea of men and women having to sit in separate classes feels kind of like Iran, Exactly like Iran. Doesn't it feel
1: like Iran to you?
0: Well, it, it feels like Iran to me. And my initial reaction was exactly like yours. But then I said to myself, and tell me if you think I'm wrong, I'm sure you do. So tell me why I'm wrong. Um, yeah, but if they don't have the option of separate classes, then the Haredim aren't going to go to the uh, university. No, that's not true. You that's don't think just, that's true? No.
1: Look at the, look at look at America. I have. Well, no, but they're I different Haredi so, communities. Okay, so if they if they want to get educated and they want to get go forward in life, then they then they'll figure out how to do it.
0: So I just want to make sure that our listeners understand when you talk about being you know a liberal force, or some people might talk yes. about this radical idea of privatizing religion in the Jewish state, or if Ending the hegemony of the rabbinate, you're not exactly an anti-traditional person, right?
1: Of course, I'm not anti-traditional. I, I myself am shomer chabbat. I observe the Sabbath. I observe the Kashrut laws. I come from an Orthodox family, and the tradition's very dear to my heart. But uh, this work that I've done has opened my eyes in a lot of different ways, and I. I th- and I really have begun to understand the diversity and the beauty of the plurality of the possibilities of Judaism. Um, so you're not
0: you don't see any you don't see any value in some higher education academic institutions allowing for separate classes so that we can start educating the Haredi community. No, I
1: think we have to start it from kindergarten. And I think we have to have um, libah, the, the core curriculum. We have to stand on our value system and insist that there are, certain, there are certain things that you can't compromise on, one of which is the core curriculum. That's a big mistake that Israel kowtowed to the Orthodox in that area. So, but you're, but you're saying,
0: and I'm not saying I disagree, but just, you're saying basically you have a set of values about what a human being should know in the 21st century. And yeah, the state of Israel should impose those values yes. on the Haredi community. Yes. There's, even if they're religiously opposed to it. Yes, yes. And There's, they would say,
1: they would say, oh, freedom, right? Right. It's my freedom. Uh, yes. So to some extent, um, I think that's the responsibility of the I think that's one of the responsibilities of the state to make sure that its children are educated. And I think that if that's being intolerant, how tolerant can we be of the intolerable? And I think that's intolerable. So I think that we have to draw lines and we have to make uh, value judgments and value decisions. And that's a big mistake that the state has not imposed core curriculum.
0: So again, for our listeners who are uh, interested in seeing more about what you're doing, the names of the two organizations are?
1: Well, the organization that I run now is the Center for Women's Justice. And with your permission, I will read our mission statement and our vision. Please do. The Center for Women's Justice was founded with a feminist spirit and an ambitious objective to shift the discriminatory status quo of religion and state regarding women and to secure the the way towards a more just and democratic Israeli society. And we envision an Israel where the dignity and liberty of women are self-evident truths.
0: Very well said. And what's the website if people want to visit it?
1: Um, oh, wow. www.cwj.org.il, I believe. Okay. <laughs>
0: www.cwj.
1: Center, Women, Center Women's
0: Justice.org.il. Yes. Susan Weiss, thank you so much for taking the time to bring what is really a critical issue in Israeli society to the attention of many, many people outside Israel who may not be familiar with it. And I wish you continued success in the great work that you're doing.
1: Uh, and thank you so much for this opportunity. It's been a pleasure.
0: You've been listening to Israel from the Inside. Go to danielgordis.substack.com where you can hear more of these episodes. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to explore, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, I'm Daniel Gordas.